Welcome back. Uh, we're continuing the book of Romans, uh, this time chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. Paul continues to reveal man's sin. Today we use the introduction to bring a conclusion, or at least we will introduce Paul's conclusion on man's sinful state. Certainly this will not be the final time that Paul mentions man's guilt and a need for a savior. However, we conclude the section of Romans that takes man's guilt and uh, Paul's use of it as a primary topic at least. Um, not too long ago, our Sunday school class studied through the book of Job. When I introduced the study to the class, uh, I had to confess that although I had taught from the book of Job and preached from the book of Job, I had never taught through the entire book as a complete study. And one reason for that is uh, that the middle section of the book is so difficult for me. <laughs> if you're familiar with the book of Job, you realize that the beginning of the book, although tragic, is very exciting and also introduces some insights to God in the ancient world is given a very narrative story form. Uh, it's fun to read. Likewise, the end of the book is also exciting and is in and of itself a great story. But the middle section. The middle section of the book deals with Job's three friends and their conversations or arguments with Job. Might be a better way to describe it. And I know it doesn't sound very, sound very sanctified of me, but this section is trying to say the least for me. Uh, make no mistake, the middle section is just as much in the inspired word of God as the beginning and the end. However, it is written with redundancy, uh, harsh language, cruel judgments, arguments that never seem to resolve or come to conclusions, and for me, it's just difficult to study, even though I know that it's beneficial. It, it kind of drags on, and it, it's almost like wading through a swamp or morass. You're, you get headed in there, you're going good, and then you just bog down, and you've got through this multiple chapters of what seems to be the same argument being repeated almost. And yet, it's important. It's, it's scripture. It's, it's, it's inspired. It's the word of God. So I don't mean to diminish it, but I, but I know for me, I struggle. The struggle is mine, not with the Bible. Uh, so again, but sometimes we come to these parts of scripture and it's important to dig in, to wade in, to do the work, to uh, exercise self-discipline and study and glean what we can from those parts. Uh, I say all that to say this. The first two and a half chapters of Romans deals with our sin and guilt extensively. By the end of chapter one, I personally already feel dirty. Like I want to stop and I want to cry out to Paul and say, all right, Paul, we get it. Now please move on to the grace part. But Paul doesn't do that, does he? No, he, he belabors the point. He continues the commentary on sin and guilt quite extensively for another chapter and a half. So from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20, Paul's dealing with just sin and, and, and guilt and how nobody escapes and everybody is guilty and, and it's just sin, 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 uh, regardless who, who you are. 
But bear with me. Today we finally come to the end. Following chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul begins to turn his attention to grace, mercy, forgiveness, and the gospel will, will soon ring forth. So let's dive in once again and take a look at Romans chapter 3 verses 1 through 20 this time. And we'll hear Paul's final thoughts on man's hopeless estate. Now, I, I suspect that this lesson will be a little shorter than the others. Uh, I think it's going to to just, if I were to just read those 20 verses to you, uh, it it's plain English. It, it's given in plain English. It says what it needs to say. Uh, there, there's not much commentary I need to add to it. In fact, there's a lot of the book of Romans that's, that's kind of that way. You kind of feel useless as a teacher. Or you, or you think, well, I'm missing something. I don't have a good enough outline. But folks, we just need to get, dig in and read the scriptures and take them for what they are. So having said that, I'm going to read the, the 20 verses to you, and I hope that you are able to read along. If Maybe if you're driving or something, you're not able to do that when you listen to this podcast. Uh, it can be difficult to listen to somebody just read, so bear with me. And uh, we'll read the verses, then we'll come back and make a few comments. Uh, then we'll close this lesson, and we'll look forward to the next time we get together, and we begin to talk about God's righteousness through faith. So here we go, Romans chapter 3, verse 1. What advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? As we are slanderously reported and some affirm that we say their condemnation is just. Verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No, not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and the Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood destruction and misery are in their ways and the way of peace they have not known there is no fear of god before their eyes now we know that whatever the law says it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before god therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin. 
And that's verses 1 through 20. Now, you may have noticed there a long section of just seemingly quotes or little little one-phrase statements, and we'll talk about those in point number two when we get to it. But let's deal with point number one, uh, which is covers verses one through eight. Paul defends God's judgment. And he begins the chapter by doing this, and of course it's a, a logical beginning to chapter three after chapter two. And always keep in mind, uh, the, the Bible was not written with chapters and verses. Uh, this book, of course, is an epistle, uh, and that's not a wife of an apostle. That's, it's a word that simply means a letter. So Paul was writing this letter to the church at Rome, and had we read it in the original language, in the original scroll, we would have just unrolled it and began to read it, much as if you had written a letter to me or I to you, we would have not numbered it with uh, verses and chapters and, and guidelines. I'm thankful for those, but they're not inspired. And so this is a continuing thought of what was covered in our last lesson. And Paul again reemphasizes, he defends God's judgment, and he reemphasizes this question of what benefit is there to being a Jew? What profit is there in circumcision? And of course, he answers it right away and says, much in every way, chiefly, in other words, the main reason is because uh, to them were committed the oracles of God. And what a tremendous, tremendous gift. Do you realize that God blessed the entire world through the Jewish nation? He said two things primarily, and he's blessed in, in many, many ways through the Jewish nation. Um, we don't have time to go into that today, but their history, uh, both ancient and modern, is remarkable. I encourage you to look into that. But there are two ways that he blessed the entire world, every nation. And the first of all is, is through the word of God. That's what he's talking about here. The oracles of God were, were given to them. Why do we have the Bible? Why do we have scripture? God sent it through the Jewish nation. The, the, the bulk of the writers, if not all, were Jewish. And they wrote down the words of God for us. They recorded them by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And we have those and we're blessed by those. Uh, those are given through the nation. Secondly, the Lord Jesus Christ came through the virgin birth of Mary and the Jewish nation. Uh, he has, uh, he has the, 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 you, can, you can trace the genealogy there of, of Mary uh, and, and he, he comes through the Jewish nation. So the entire world was blessed by the Jewish nation, even though they're despised in many instances. You, you realize more people have tried to destroy the Jewish nation than any other nation on the face of the earth. And it wasn't just Nazi Germany, but over and over again, rulers and kings and nations have determined that they would put an end to the Jewish nation completely. And yet they're unable to do so. This little tiny nation the landmass about the size of New Jersey and, and, and the world turns against them and they just will not go away. Why is that, friend? Well, it's because God said so. And that's it, whether you like it or not. And we need to remember that as Christians. But well, what benefit is there? Well, chiefly because of the oracles of God that were committed to them. And God's words and judgments are true. Uh, Verse four, God, uh, certainly not indeed let God be true and every man be a liar. Uh, so Paul says, what if some don't believe? What if many don't believe? What if nobody will believe? So what? 
God is true and everyone else can be a liar. That's just how it is, folks. God is truth. He is the truth, the, the way, the truth, and the life. And Paul reemphasizes this. And then he kind of asked a, a rhetorical question, can sin ever benefit God? So he kind of poses a logical argument that maybe some were making in that day in Rome and said, hey, you know what? When we sin and we're under grace as Christians, well, it just magnifies, makes the gift even greater. So let, let's suppose that someone had uh, been saved at a very early age and they not, had not sinned greatly, at least in our eyes. Uh, maybe they'd had arguments with their siblings and disobeyed mom and dad from time to time. Uh, maybe even stolen a cookie and things of that nature, and yet they were saved from their sin. And let's suppose that person died at a very, very early age. Then we take a second person who lived a life of sin, maybe was serving time in prison for some great sins that they had, maybe even a murderer. And yet, before they died, they called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and they were saved. Well, which is the greater miracle in human logical eyes? Well, in human logic, one would say, well, certainly the, the, the great sinner, the, the one in prison. <laughs> and yet, in the eyes of God, it's not so. And the argument breaks down there. And that, and that Paul says, no, it, it, this doesn't make sense. It, it does in human logic, but not in God's eyes. So we should not sin to, to bring glory to God. This is not a benefit to God. It doesn't further exalt him. Again, it's not our sin that drives people to repentance. We learned this in the last lesson, but it's God's righteousness that, that shines light on sin. And so that brings people to repentance. And, and so don't think that the opposite is true and that we can somehow help God uh, by going out and being an even greater sinner. And you're really just seeking to abuse grace when you do that and satisfy the flesh. And that's what it comes down to. Now let's do point number two, uh, verses nine through 20. And here Paul just plainly states that all have sinned. Um, now, one thing that leaps off the page in verse nine, what then are we better than they? And as a Bible student, we should pause and ask ourselves the question, well, who is the we and who is the they? And in verse nine, it could be that he's speaking again of Jew and Gentile. Uh, I think probably that's that's a good argument. Uh, is he talking about a believer and an unbeliever? Well, the verse says, what then are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. So here they were given the answer. And he's again talking about Jew and Gentile. But yet the same is true for the believer and unbeliever. Are, are we better? And the answer is no. Resounding no. It's not, and I've seen the, the, the bumper sticker that uh, Christians aren't better. They're just forgiven. And I guess I understand that to be true in some sense. But folks, that the, the truth of it is that doesn't go far enough. I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. I'm, I have the righteousness of Christ applied to me. In, a, in and of myself, am I better? Absolutely not. But I am a child of God. I have a position in God. 
And in that, I am better. In that way, I am better. And, and one day, we'll receive a glorified body and we'll be higher and better than the angels. So am I better in that regard? Absolutely. But Paul's saying in this, in this first estate, uh, or, or is, the, is it better to be a Jew than a Gentile? Not in the age of grace? No. It absolutely is not. There's no benefit towards salvation. And that's been a, a recurring theme here throughout. And he continues on with it. And then he says, as it is written, this is verses 10 through 18. And this is where we get all those little one word or one phrase statements. There is none righteous, no, not one. That's part of the Romans wrote. There is none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. Now, do you ever wonder where, why it says, as it is written? Well, Paul's quoting scripture and he's taking phrases from verses in the Old Testament. I'm gonna give you this list and if you can write it down, uh, or come back and write it down later. You can look these up. And it, what's a great study here is to look at the context in the Old Testament. Uh, the, 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 the gospel light is, is being foreshadowed here. And so Paul uses this long, exhaustive list here, and he gives all these statements from verses 10 down through 18 of all these phrases. As it is written, here we go. He's quoting from Psalm chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Psalm chapter 53, verses 1 through 3. Ecclesiastes 7.20. Psalms 5.9. Psalms 143. Psalms chapter 10, verse 7. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 7 and 8. And Psalms chapter 36, verse 1. But folks, you know what? That's not a big enough list. It... As it is written, it's written everywhere. It's all throughout scripture. Folks, you can trace the gospel from Genesis to Revelation. Folks, it's, it's one book about one savior. It's one story. It is the gospel. And the book of Romans here is, is Paul's highlight on the gospel. And it, then he, he turns his, his attention to the fact that the law will not save. Verse 19, again, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Folks, the, the law cannot save it, it falls short. You say, well, what benefit is it then? Why did God give it? Well, he gives it because it shows us our sin. We've talked about this in other lessons and in going forward in the other lessons, I'll mention it. My father taught me all my life, before you can get somebody saved, you first have to get them lost. If you want to do that, you show them the law. Ray Comfort, that great evangelist, talked about years ago. Uh, uh, he preached, he began to preach a, a series of sermons in his church that he was, I guess he was pastoring at the time. And it, uh, he was preaching on the Ten Commandments. And it, these great canons, uh, he called them God's Ten Great Canons. Uh, and he was he had somewhat discouraged because he'd been preaching grace, grace, grace and gospel and people weren't being saved. He began to preach on this God's law. And as he did, every night people would come forward and get saved. And, and then he, he began to ask God, what's going on? And the Holy Spirit taught him and said, and, and showed him that once people saw themselves in the light of God's judgment, in the light of God's law, they could see their guilt. 
And then they understood their need for grace. And folks, this is the great benefit of the law. This is why we have waded through the first uh, three and a, or two and a half chapters of the book of Romans and, and talked about our sin over and over again, talked about our guilt, talked about our need. Why? Because it shines the light on our need for the gospel. So what good is the law? Why do we need the law? We need it to show us the gospel. Verse 20, therefore by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight for the law is the knowledge of sin. That's it folks. The law gives us our knowledge of sin. Well, we've done it. We've reached chapter three, verse 20. Next week, we talk about righteousness. We talk about faith. We talk about justification. We're gonna continue down this Romans road and we're gonna get to the conclusion of the gospel. We're gonna gloriously triumph now through the rest of the book of Romans. Stay with us, keep studying. Hey folks, keep reading. Read your Bibles, study for yourself. Don't trust what this old boy says. Check it out for yourself. Read the word of God and seek the Holy Spirit to teach you. Thanks for joining us, friends. We'll see you next time.